I tried with all my being, all my soul, not to dream that first night at the cottage. I prayed that hideous thoughts would stay away, and for once someone listened. I'd refused to believe in any kind of God since my son disappeared. There were no answers from him in the desperate weeks and months before we gave up hope, not of finding him alive, but at least of retrieving his body. Something of Joey to wrap warmly in cashmere and lay gently inside a casket, a casket in which to place his favourite old cuddly toys, a casket to lie before the altar in Talon Church, a tangible body to pray for and weep over. Hand it over to God, said a well-meaning vicar friend, when my grief became too much to bear. And I'd tried, but nothing came of it. Just silence. No news. Only the sympathetic words of the coroner, who told us that bodies often disappeared at sea, and they were not always, as I'd supposed, washed up ashore, even as close to land as Joey's empty boat had been found. He didn't elaborate, but the dark voice inside my head found its own narrative. Yes, it intoned bitterly. Nothing left, of course. He'll have been eaten. He'll have been devoured by marine life. The monsters of the deep. Adam and I didn't discuss it. Our thoughts about what was left of Joey remained for each of us our secret. Horrible images. Private nightmares, not to be discussed in daylight, for fear we should go mad. So I had no faith in prayer, and yet that first night at Coombe, the entity that guides our dreams, thankfully, spared me. The first few days of our summer holiday passed pleasantly enough. I still couldn't face Polpero, but there were lots of other pretty coves to take Edie to, my favourite was Talland Beach, small and unthreatening, with its cosy little cafe, softly lapping waves, and hordes of tiny children digging in the sand, building lopsided towers out of pebbles and bits of shale. Yes, I had to look at the sea, and it was the same sea that had claimed Joey, but here, during these soft summer days, the water looked so gentle that I couldn't equate it with the tempestuous tides that capsized Joey in a sudden April squall more than five years before. Apparently it had blown in out of nowhere, Joey's friend Ben had told me. It wasn't that my son, skilled sailor that he was, had taken a foolish risk and set sail in bad weather. The sea was calm as a millpond when Joey left the harbour. Half an hour later, the wind whipped up, and the waves grew fierce and choppy. And yet, it wasn't a violent storm, Ben said, just a bit of a blow. He hadn't been worried about Joey at all until he didn't return in time for the pub lunch they were supposed to meet up for at the Blue Peter. He confided his concern to a fisherman he met in the pub. The fisherman took Ben at once to find the harbour master, who immediately ordered a search. Late in the afternoon, Joey's boat was spotted, wrecked on rocks down the coast near Lou. Joey, of course, was not on board. Joey was nowhere to be found. 
As I played on Talon Beach with Edie, who was valiantly trying to fill her little seaside bucket with pebbles, I tried not to think of that dreadful day at the start of the Easter holidays, when Ben had called me as I sipped wine in the garden at home in Manchester. Oh, foolish, stupid woman, just to think of myself sitting there without a care in the world, waiting for Adam to get home, planning a barbecue, made me feel sick. Ben had stayed on in Polpero, while we rushed down in a panic that night. We moved into the same cottage he and Joey were renting. As day after day passed with no news, I took to sleeping in Joey's bed, his sweater on my pillow, his red...